What is up, everybody? My name is Brandon First, a.k.a. First Report, representing the ESBC Gambling Podcast Network. Today is Sunday, June 14, 2020. It is our weekly uh, Major League Baseball review. Um, all Pretty much all summer, the last three or four MLB shows have been heavy, talking about the ongoing negotiations as baseball begins to hopefully get back to normalcy. I'm happy to report that this podcast will be um, not geared towards that. Uh, it'll be MLB draft review as that happened this past Wednesday. Something actually tangible we can talk about. Not really any betting angles um, towards this, but it is something um, baseball related that we can talk about. And we do kind of see the way teams are deciding how they're going to go about the next three or four years through the draft. So there is, there are things to pick up on that. Um, unfortunately, at the end, I will have to talk about the negotiations that uh, took a little bit of a turn in the last three or four days um, since midweek. Um, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But obviously, as I said, this past Wednesday, Major League Baseball had their amateur draft. And obviously, most years, it's 40 rounds. Um, a lot of players are taken. Um, not everybody signs. A lot of high school players are taken um, 30 rounds, 25 to 40. They're going to probably go play college ball, try and improve their draft stock. But usually there's a, about 1,000 players that are, are, are picked up and signed and begin their pro careers. That won't happen this year. Only five rounds um, this year because of the COVID-19 outbreak. A lot of the reason why was obviously the shutdown of sports, um, baseball, college baseball, I think got about 10 to 15 games in before their season came to an end. Certain high schools, depending on where you were around the country, um, they get started at different times. For example, if you're in the Northeast, you didn't play any games yet. Um, they usually get started around uh, April when the weather kind of lets up. If you're in Florida, Texas, California, um, they start about February, March. So you got to see those kids at least for five or 10 games. Not a huge sample size, obviously, but it was enough for certain players, obviously, to be drafted. Normally, um, all these players um, that get drafted, all 40 rounds of the players that get drafted and then eventually do sign, they do get a signing bonus, and that's negotiated. This year, only the five rounds, obviously, will be negotiated. If you are not drafted and you um, want to move to pro ball, um, you don't have any eligibility left in college or anywhere else, then you are able to sign pretty much as an undrafted free agent with any team you choose. However, the most you can sign for is $20,000. And a lot of what I talk about on this podcast when it comes to money is relative. Look, $20,000, sign me up. I am all for that. But in baseball, in, in signing bonus money, that's chump change, folks. Um, just for reference, the 10th round pick normally usually doesn't sign for less than 125000 And you're getting players that probably would have fallen in the 6th, 7th, 8th rounds. They cannot sign. There's no negotiation allowed. The most you can sign for is $20,000. So the ripple effect of this will be in the amateur ranks. Notably, obviously the college, you're gonna see players that, high school players that are going to go and honor their scholarship at their committed school, 
Um, whereas maybe normally they would have been a seventh round pick and been okay with $200,000, $225,000. Some of these kids, they don't want to go to college. School was, school was rough for them. Baseball is their way out. If you can give them six figures on their signing bonus, they'll go do that and they won't go the college route. Now, with only $20,000 being on the table, you're probably going to have to go to college or at the very least junior college. And I think junior colleges are going to be affected the most from this in a positive way. And I'm going to tell you why. And it goes back to Bryce Harper. Um, he pretty much declared, he, he skipped his um, senior year of high school and went and played junior college ball and was eligible immediately. If he would have gone and played uh, at D1 or a four-year school, he would have had to stay for at least two years. In baseball, high schoolers are allowed to go and sign with their major league teams that draft them, and they go straight into pro ball. You have situations where players will hold out and want to go play college ball, but they'll have to stay for those three years. Junior college, you're eligible at the end of every year. Now, obviously you're only able to go to junior college for two years and then eventually you either have to be drafted or find a four year, but more than likely you, you're you in that area if you're talking about being drafted. A D1 school will come and find you. So, the roll of the dice of the draft, it's, it's, it's obvious in all sports. Every single sport has a roll of a dice element to it, but baseball, has a, a bigger element this season because we went from 40 rounds to five. I mean, that's like taking the NFL draft and, and cutting it down to pretty much every team gets one pick. That's kind of the, um, the relative part of what baseball had to do when there is so many uh, rounds regularly. Five rounds, it's, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but there's a lot of players that are not going to be able to start their pro ball career. Another unique quality of the Major League Baseball draft is every single prospect has something tied to them. It's called signability, and it's exactly as it sounds. Signability in terms of is that player going to sign for us at the number, at the price tag we want him to? Every single high school or college or amateur athlete who is getting drafted has a number in mind. Maybe not a hard number, but a number in mind that they want to make. De doesn't matter where they're drafted. You will see certain players. We go back to 2004. Matt Bush, the San Diego Padres, take Matt Bush, the number one overall pick. Reason why is because all of the other top prospects were represented by Scott Boris. And this was a different Padre organization. It was John Moore's uh, very, very penny-pinching organization that had just built Petco and was probably heavy in debt so they were having to kind of take the cheap way out but you see that throughout the draft and obviously the Matt Bush situation is so obvious because he was the number one overall pick but every single year there's a situation where a team picks a player and they probably feel we're not going to sign him but the teams are able to recoup that pick next in next year's draft. For example, if the Padres say they picked at eight, if they don't sign their high school player that they picked this year, next year they will have a pick in the eight, seven, eight, nine range, along with their first round pick. The only caveat to that is, is they have to negotiate in what's called good faith. I mean, everyone knows what good negotiating is, good faith is, but in baseball terms, is every single 
um, draft slot has a bonus um, baseline. Pretty much, this is the minimum that you have to offer this person. And if they re reject that, you get that pick next year. If you don't offer the, the minimum amount baseline, you don't get next year's compensatory pick. So that is something always to think about. And for the players, if the players don't sign and they still have eligibility, they are able to obviously go back to school and enter the draft next season. This isn't like the NBA where if you get drafted or, or like the NFL where if you declare for the draft and you get drafted, that's it. You're not coming back. No, nothing. So baseball is a situation where when you're first drafted, that signing bonus is a good possibility. It's the only money, real legitimate money you're ever going to see from baseball. It's a long road. If you've read my articles these pa this past summer about the road it takes to get to the major leagues and not the struggles but the environments and the situations that you're put in it's very very tough and i'm happy to report i have a, a, a unnamed former minor leaguer that um i will be interviewing and uh, using his quotes to get a little deeper into what it actually does take to get into the minor league system so going back to the draft when you are drafted you know it's a long road before you make the major leagues and then when you make the major leagues you have six years before you hit free agency there's a long time before you get to the point of where you feel you're getting paid arbitration is nice but that's a third party that's figuring out your worth free agency is you setting your worth so a lot of these teams are going to pass on guys in this year's draft I'm talking they're going to pass on certain guys that they don't think they're going to be able to sign because you only have five or six picks or seven picks in this draft so if you if you forfeit one on a guy that you can't sign that's that's devastating other years you can do it okay there's there's 20 other picks behind it maybe one of those will hit not this year there's only probably 10 players even after the play even after the team sign undrafted free agents they're not going to sign too many there's not too many college kids that are signing up with eligibility that are signing up to make at most twenty thousand dollar signing bonus so if the team as we said it, it they the team has two months to decide or to negotiate with this player after that deadline is up, it's done, it's dusted, and that player has to go figure out where their next bit of baseball is going to be played. Now let's dive into the actual specifics of the draft. I'm going to start with an overall look of the first round um, over the Major League uh, slate, and then we're going to dive deeper into the three Southern California teams. When baseball gets rolling, we are going to give you three picks a day in baseball Southern California related. And when baseball rolls back around, I'm going to be doing two podcasts, one MLB related and one Southern California baseball um, related. So we dive into those three teams, the Dodgers, Angels, and Padres, and dive deep into that kind of regional because that's what we see. That's what I see a lot. Um, starting those games at 7 o'clock, you know, uh, not always home for 4 o'clock to watch the East Coast games, but I'm always home to watch the, East, uh, the, the West Coast late games, Dodgers, Angels, Giants, stuff like that. So we'll have a podcast dedicated just to Southern California uh, baseball, and we'll have another podcast dedicated to baseball in whole, 
Um, when we get rolling, obviously, unfortunately, there's not enough stuff to do to podcast currently. But on that note, we'll move into the overall first round began and ended uh, pretty much around Tempe, Arizona. The Detroit Tigers took third baseman Spencer, Spencer Torkelson out of Arizona State. And uh, at the end of the supplemental first round, pick number 37, the Tampa Bay Rays took shortstop Alika Williams. Both of these kids played at Arizona State. Alika Williams, uh, really, really talented shortstop. But Spencer Torkelson, he becomes the 18th out of the last 20 over, number one overall picks to have been a graduate of the USA Development Baseball team. It's been a while since uh, USA Baseball could really say that. Heading into college, Torkelson really wasn't, he wasn't even drafted out of high school, which is odd when you think there are 40 rounds. Um, a lot of uh, college kids end up getting drafted, but end up going to college because they're drafted so low. He was not even drafted. Obviously wasn't highly thought of heading to Arizona State. Well, all that changed pretty much right away. Torkelson uh, broke Barry Bonds uh, freshman home run record at Arizona State. He hit 19. The previous record was 12. Torkelson rise culminated um, when on Wednesday to the surprise of really nobody, he went number one overall to the Detroit Tigers. The first seven picks were all college players. And I really do think that speaks to the situation high school players were in. I talked about earlier, you know, the, um, the East Coast or Northeast high school players didn't even get on the field this year. So there was nothing really for them to show. So it was kind of the safe bet to take the college kids who have had a couple years with good or in good competition uh, situations. Because a lot of these high school kids, look, it looks real good when you hit 520. But I remember I, I played I played varsity baseball and I'm pretty sure some of those kids could hit a lot higher than 520 off of me. So high school numbers are a little skewed. But the Toronto Blue Jays ended up taking uh, Austin Martin. Shortstop at number five. It was a it was a surprise that he actually fell that far. The Blue Jays were very obviously excited. They look to have an infield, possibly of uh, Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero, uh, Kavon Biggio, and now Austin Martin in three or four years. That could be a really talented infield. They're going to need it in a very very competitive AL East, as it always always seems to have really good teams, and the Orioles are also on a rise as well. High school phenom Zach Veen may have the most pure power in the entire draft. And he was taken by the Colorado Rockies. And if you saw his reaction on the draft cam, you could tell he, he's a very emotional and, and he, he looks like a rocker. He looks like somebody that you see at a metal concert in the middle of a mosh pit. I think a lot of the reason why he was so pumped is he knows that in four or five years, if he does everything he needs to do, he's going to be hitting at Coors Field. And I don't have to tell you what that means to a power hitter. At 17, the uh, Red Sox, excuse me. Uh, at 17, the Red Sox took second baseman Nick York. The Red Sox love his bat, but most prognostications had York in the 180s in terms of team rank. Even the highest he was ranked um, was 125. So taking him at 17 was interesting. It was thought at first, possibly the Red Sox could be taking him to maybe not sign him and then next year get this pick um, with the influx of talent that will be in next year's draft. 
That was shot down relatively early. Um, the Red Sox made it clear that not only do they expect to sign Nick York, but they think they got the right guy at 17. Who knows? You know, someone's right, someone's wrong. We'll find out in about three or four years. Stay tuned. Moving on, the uh, Cubs, one prior pick, uh, one pick prior to that, the Chicago Cubs took shortstop Ed Howard um, from right in their own backyard of Chicago. Ed Howard, if that name is somewhat familiar to you, he was actually a member of the Jackie Robinson Little League team who ended up um, losing to South Korea in 2014 in the Little League World Series championship game. Um, later, it was they were technically disqualified after it was found out that, as usual, the adults ruined things for the kids, but that should not take away what those kids did. So, he goes from Chicago hero in Little League now has a chance to become a Chicago hero in the big leagues. Good for him, especially in this time. I think the city of Chicago kind of needs something like that. I think all we all kind of need something like that to get behind a really cool story. Uh, another nice story. It was it was nice that he got drafted where he was, but it was you, you felt bad for the kid. And his name was Nick Bisco. He's a, he's a right-handed pitcher, and he was expected to be the top high school prospect in the 2021 draft, meaning next year. He ended up reclassifying after getting enough credits to graduate early, so he made himself eligible for the 2020 draft. The only problem was, he did that in January. Unfortunately, COVID came around and canceled his high school season. He ends only with two years of varsity baseball. I believe it was only 12 innings pitched in high school. That's what it was. Now he has quarantine videos out. He looks really nasty uh it was he looked obviously nasty enough for the rays to go out and take a chance on him uh they pulled the trigger uh he's a high reward it's a high risk because it's a high pick in the first round but a high reward if they can get this kid you might have got a top five pick late in the uh, first round draft day is always huge in southern california very few regions are as talent rich in baseball as SoCal. Southern California is known not only for the talent here, the teams here, but I mean, LA, you look at Harvard Westlake, who pretty much their starting pitchers in the major leagues could be probably one of the best starting pitchers. You look at Lucas Giolito and Jack Flaherty, just to name a few. Just to name a few. Uh, yeah, Harvard Westlake is arguably the best prep school in the country for baseball. And then if you go down the five, um, San Diego, I... I grew up in the area. I actually played against this team in high school. It's the Rancho Bernardo Broncos. They are a national power. Um, when I was going there, it was right after Cole Hamels had finished up. Um, faced him a year before. Uh, and I'll tell you what, never been so scared in my life. But obviously Cole Hamels came out of there. You got guys like Hank Blaylock, Danny Putnam, and even coming back to this year's draft, always an RB kid, the last pick, I already talked about it. The last pick of the first round, Alika Williams took his talents from Rancho Bernardo to Arizona State. Now he's heading to the, or, uh, uh, excuse me, he is going to the uh, Rays organization. So the Padres were the first Southern California team to pick, and they took the first high school prospect, outfielder Robert Hassel III. Hassel III is from Independence, Tennessee, um, Independent High School in Tennessee. Another fun stat, uh, Little League stat is, the year the, um, excuse me, the the year the uh, East Lake Little League team won the Little League World Series, the only championship San Diego has to their name, 
the Little League one. But anyways, uh, Robert Hassel was actually in that Little League. He was on the Tennessee team. Um, obviously, didn't wasn't a huge impact as the Eastlake kids who took over, but it was a nice little nugget. At 34, at pick 34, the Padres took right-handed pitcher Justin Lang out of Lano, Texas. Outfielder Owen Cassie was the first Canadian high school player picked by the... Uh, picked at 45. That was the Padres pick as well. And they finished up uh, the f rounds 3, 4, and 5 with right-handed pitcher Cole Wil Wilcox out of Georgia, right-handed pitcher Levi Thomas out of Troy, and uh, West Columbus High School alum in North Carolina, Jagger Hayes. Moving to the Angels. The Angels got their pick, uh, they got their draft started at pick number 10 with left-handed pitcher Reed Detmers. The Halos then went outfield with David uh, David Calabrese out of St. Elizabeth Catholic High School in Ontario, Canada. That's two Ontario kids coming to Southern California. Good for them. They also went shortstop Werner Blakely out of Detroit Edison High School. They took Long Beach State's, uh, State's left-handed pitcher Adam Cenaris to finish it up. Um, one note, the Angels did give up their second-round pick in with the signing of Anthony Rendon. So that's why they didn't have as many picks as the Padres. Because the Dodgers had the best record in the regular season, they picked in last in the first round. That was, of course, pick number 29. Reason there were 29, no picks in the first two rounds for the Houston Astros because of the sign-sealing scandal. That might come in handy later on. Uh, the Dodgers ended up taking the following players. Uh, the first three are right-handed pitchers. We got Bobby Miller out of Louisville. Landon Knack out of East Tennessee State, and Clayton Beater out of Texas Tech University. Then Huntington Beach's own Jake Vogel, uh, outfielder, he heads to the, excuse me, he heads to the Dodgers, and they finished the draft up with a catcher out of Virginia Tech, Carson Taylor, and right-handed pitcher out of Central Arkansas, Gavin Stone. Unlike most sports drafts, teams usually opt for their best player available, regardless of position. Um, there are certain situations um, where that might change. It was a little odd to see the Giants pick a uh, catcher in the first round, knowing they picked Joey Bart uh, two years ago, the top top catcher in the uh, draft two years ago. But these kids can move around positions. You know, it's not like you're uh, in football where if you're, if you're 6'4", 250 pounds, you pretty much got to stay on the line. Baseball, not really so much. Now, we're not going to get a 5'7 kid go play first base. I understand that. We're not going to get a 6'5 guy going to play center field. But there are things you can do and move people around. So for that reason, most teams pick the best player available. Remember, Trevor Hoffman, Hall of Fame uh, pitcher. He was a shortstop for the first two, two years. He was a failed shortstop, folks. Ended up stepping on the mound. The rest is history. In terms of drafting the best players available the Padres I think did very well this year I look at the third round pick of Cole uh, Wilcox I think he dropped because he is a tough sign but if the Padres can sign him and develop him he will be a steal in the third round I really do feel that um, moving to the Angels obviously they lost that second round pick for Rendon I'm sure they'll take that any day of the week but I really like their pick in the first round. Reed Detmers, I actually did see a couple games of him last year in the uh, college uh, baseball national tournament. A uh, couple regionals, maybe a super regional um, that I saw Detmers pitch. 
Look, I, I was very surprised to see a lefty of his size go or stick around until 10. And we're also talking about a kid who most people think Detmers is the is the shoe in to be the first player up from this draft in the first round. Most people think he is the most major league ready. And to, the Angels to get him at 10, that's huge because the biggest weakness for the Angels is their pitching staff. Their lineup is above average, but their pitching staff is well below average. And I do believe that's the reason that's going to keep them out of the playoffs. I kind of, you know, with the 17 playoff, I'm not going to go there, but I don't think they would have made the playoffs if it was a normal um, wild card or a normal wild card season. Moving to the Dodgers. Of course, very few teams, if any, are better at developing players than the Dodgers. Right-handed pitcher out of Texas Tech, Clayton Beater, looks like he is going to be the next one in a long line of really, really talented pitchers. All teams will feel optimistic, and they have good reason to. And as of right now, it's a, it's a crapshoot. Most of these kids, we don't even know if these kids are going to be on the team. We don't even know if they're going to sign. But I do go back to the 1987 draft, and it was historic for two reasons. Obviously, at the, the head of that draft was Ken Griffey Jr. We know what Ken Griffey Jr. went on to do. Nice little trivia question. Ken Griffey Jr. is actually the only major league player taken number one overall to make the Hall of Fame. That's pretty crazy. The number one overall pick, the only number one overall pick to make the Hall of Fame. And in that, in that same draft, the lowest pick ever to make the Hall of Fame was also selected. Mike Piazza, who of course the Dodgers took, Tommy Lasorda took in the 62nd round as a favor to his father, who I believe was a scout for the Dodgers. Um, and then the rest is history. Obviously, Mike Piazza is probably the best power hitter um, or best power hitter that played catcher since Johnny Bench. Uh, I never personally got a chance to see Johnny Bench live, but in my lifetime, there's no doubt in my mind, Mike Piazza is the best catching power hitter ever. Might even be the best hitting catcher ever. Joe Maurer might have something to say about that, but that's, that's for another day. Moving on to the Major League Baseball negotiations. As I said earlier, as of about two or three days ago, I didn't think I was going to talk about this. I thought we were pretty much in the same holding pattern. It's kind of the patty cake back and forth. You give me something, or this is your proposal. We say no, here's the proposal back. But I think we've hit a wall, folks. Major League Baseball owners sent a proposal last week to the players outlining a 76-game schedule at 75% prorated. Trevor Bauer, um, who pitches for the Reds, I've talked about plenty of times. He's a great follow on Twitter. He is very, very insightful into what the players' minds are going on through all this. But he pretty much broke it down and, and brought up the fact that, look, yes, this, next, this proposal is for 76 games, which is the, the players want more games, but they want that prorated salary. With the 75% prorated salary at 76 games, do you know how much that pay is? It's the same amount as if they played 50 games. That's what the owners want. The players are seeing through the different packaging of the same thing. They are literally telling them, oh, here's something different. And it's just packaged differently. It's the same thing. And the players 
finally stopped and they said, you know what? Just tell us. You 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 set the tone because the Mar the Ma uh, March agreement that was agreed upon in March by both parties, the owners and the players, said that the players would get 100% prorated salary and the owners would be able to set the schedule. But in the meantime, they're going to negotiate to avoid this. Well, we're not avoiding it anymore, folks. The players have said we're getting our 100% prorated salary, and the owners have said, okay, if you're getting that 100% prorated salary, we're only playing 48 to 50 games. So the players have pretty much said, fine, tell us where to go. This is bad. And I'm not talking about 50 games. Oh, that's that sucks. There's only 50 games. At this point, give me a three-game series, and I will be I will dissect the hell out of that. I don't care. 50 games. I'll make do with 50 games. That's a month and a half more than we expected. Okay. So while I'm frustrated, we're not getting more. It's better than nothing. But the players have a terrible taste in their mouth. Think about it from your point of view. I, like I said, I, I say this all the time. None of these players are missing meals. I don't want the, you to sympathize them, um, sympathize for them because financially or this or that. Believe me, they're fine. They don't need your sympathy for financial reasons. The way I want you to look at it is put yourself or put them in your shoes in terms of your job. What if your job did this to you? Pretty much you agreed on something. They uh, reneged on that and then have been negotiating with you and not really negotiating with you. All they're doing is giving you the same thing just with a different color bow on it or maybe different wrapping paper or maybe a different time of the day. It's, it's the same thing in different situations. And I'm getting frustrated because the owners have nobody to blame but themselves. I really wholeheartedly think the owners thought they could stay steadfast and the, and the, and the fans would just turn on the players. Because the players are the ones that are going to be talking about this, blah, blah, blah. That has not happened. The players have been unified and they've been, they, they, they've spoken their piece. And I think the fans understand that the owners are the ones at fault here. At the end of the day, we all want baseball. I think the players want baseball. I think the owners want baseball on their terms. But it's their toy. I hate to say it. <laughs> it's their toy they share with us. I hate to say it. Like I said, <clears throat> this is the world we live in. It's a kid's game run by a billionaire who at any time could take his ball and go home. And that's what they're trying to do right now. But I look further ahead. I'm a big, big, big World War II buff. Treaty of Versailles ended World War I. But if you look at it, it started the progression to World War II. I'm not relating negotiations to World War. I, I, don't, I don't want to, to, I don't want you to think I'm doing that. The reason I bring it up is for the analogy. Because the Germans were hit so hard economically at the Treaty of Versailles after, after World War I, it opened the door up for Adolf Hitler. It opened the door up for extremism. And where I'm going with that to baseball's parallel is this, the players are saying, fine, if we have to play this, fine. We'll stick our tail between our legs and we'll do that. But guess what? At the end of next off season, at the end of 2021, 
That's when the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement ends. That's the big one, folks. This little 50 game stuff that we're dealing with right now, if we lose that, I mean, you know, short term, that sucks. Long term, I would much rather have a stable labor negotiation heading into next year's off season than 50 games this year, one season next year of uncertainty, and then 94 all over again. So it's a time that the owners need to figure out that we're not fans of you. We're fans of the team. We're fans of the players. And while we're not going to cry and and protest or fright, fight for these players to get their money, we're definitely going to listen to them and we're definitely going to hear them out. And I think most people are taking their side. Owners have to take notice of this. I think baseball in general, as an organization, as an entity, needs to take advantage or needs to look at themselves and and understand that they dropped the ball. If they would have had their shit together, baseball would have been leading the charge in this country to bring sports back. People who, who don't watch baseball but are sports fans, who think baseball is boring but are still sports fans, you would have had their attention for two weeks, three weeks, a month, who knows? But you didn't. You decided to look at the profit margins for this year. This year, you looked at the profit margins and they're bad, don't get me wrong, they're bad. But I put it out there, you could have had two weeks, three weeks where all eyes are on you. Isn't that a way to make money? Isn't that a way later down the road? Businessmen are supposed to think long-term. That's what we say on this podcast so often. Salesmen think short-term, businessmen think long-term. Let's think long-term in this situation. Let's get those guys' eyes who, who watched baseball 10 years ago and it was a terrible game or this or that. Maybe they sit down and they watch the Braves and the Phillies or they watch the Dodgers and the Braves and they see Cody Bellinger and Ronald Acuna bat flipping and having fun. Maybe they go, hey, this isn't my dad's baseball. I don't want to watch this. I want to be a fan of this. They come to two, three games a year. You have made your money. But no. You decided to hold on to your toy and and play and let us play with it whenever you decided it was okay. And as you can tell, I'm frustrated. And I am not alone. And I sure hope some of them are listening because I'll tell you, I can't be the only one telling them this. There have to be people in that room who are hitting a panic button saying, we are losing something here. Maybe short-term monetarily we'll lose money, but long to, if we keep on this, if we, if we keep holding the players hostage and, 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 and sports fans hostage for no reason, for pennies on the dollar, we're going to lose this sport, period. The bubble is going to burst, folks. Teams won't be able to pay Manny Machado $30 million for the next six years if there is no baseball, if there are no asses in the seats because you lost half of your fan base because you couldn't figure out how to negotiate or how to coexist in a time when we needed you. 
but instead you stood behind your 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 money and your wallet and your and your profit margins and we're never going to forget that personally i'm i'm stuck whatever you put out there i'm going to watch i love baseball i'm i'm stuck with it but i i'm in the minority i believe i think a lot of people are are real tired of this i think some of the people that lived through 94 I mean, I lived through the 94 strike, but I wasn't really aware of what was going on at six years old. I didn't understand it. People who went through that and since then have gone through multiple economic crises and got back to work and, and, and picked themselves up and said, you know what? I know shit sucks, but we got to keep moving on. But the owners won't do that. Folks, oh, that's all I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We are getting closer to baseball. I know that for a fact. Don't forget to head to ecosystemsbusinessconcierge.com. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, it's in the episode notes. Hit that link. Everything we've ever done is on there. And when I say everything we've ever done, I'm talking hundreds and hundreds of podcasts. Recently, in the last three months, we've pretty much been dropping daily content during this coronavirus. We go back to week one of NFL season last year. Every single episode, everything that you need for your educational gambling needs is at the, on that site. And remember, you follow our rules, which are also on that site. You follow the rules of betting and you are stepping in to a no recession zone. This is a, refresh, a recession free zone. Everywhere else outside of this podcast, unfortunately, is probably gonna be in, or is already in a recession or heading that way. This is, as the millennials will say, a safe zone. This is a recession-free zone. We make money here. We are not or we are not communist. We are not socialist. This podcast, the number one rule, or the number one goal of this podcast, is to make money, make us money, and we are taking you along the ride for it. Don't get it twisted. Anybody, anybody, any athlete who says, "Oh, I came here because, you know." Um, the, the school system's nice, blah, blah, blah. Bullshit. You came here because of the money and there's nothing wrong with that. We're out front with that. This is a capitalistic podcast. We're here to make money because we live in Southern California. We live in California. Gas is super expensive. You talk to Josh, his wife, she lets him gamble, but the only way is if she fills up only on that money and he's been riding that for a long, long, long time. Believe me, everybody needs more money, especially right now. It's a recession-free, uh, we're in a recession. Time is money. The last three months, every other podcast has been covering meaningless stuff. We, I did, I broke down all 30 teams. Every, all 30 teams from a betting angle in Major League Baseball. I did that. Every week we had Major League Baseball information. We got college basketball before that shut down. We were on fire before that ended. So head to that website, check out all of our stuff. Baseball season gets started. We're gonna get that date, get that homework in, get those 30 team reports in. I guarantee you they will help you in your gambling. I dove in deep. I got the things that you're not going to see on ESPN, you're not going to see unless you dive deep in there. And remember, one of the rules, one of the biggest rules is you do your research. I love to research. I'm sharing that with you. Let's take advantage of it. As we said, this is a this is a recession-free zone and it's, think of it like a bandwagon. There's plenty of room. You just got to follow the rules, all right? 
With that, folks, thank you so much for listening. Once again, my name is Brandon First, a.k.a. First Report, representing the ESBC Gambling Podcast Network. I will be back with you uh, later on this week as we get closer to baseball and we get closer to sports so that we can make money watching sports. Have a great day, everybody. Don't forget, wash your hands and don't hate. Take care. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it is free. It's a podcast that I use. And they really do a good job for us here at the GFSN betting and team report podcast. It helps us make 70 to 80% of your bets. Now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started, my brothers. That's why this one goes cost $800 and that goes $200. That's why I'm wearing the shoes.